Here's my to-do list on the left, and on my right side is my not-to-do list. These are the things that either I'm good at but I don't like, or I'm just not even very good at but I still do. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. But before we get into today's topic, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What's going on, man? Well, it might sound weird, Cody, but I don't know what's going on. And I I say that because we're recording this uh, just a little bit early before this goes live. And uh, at the time of recording this, I still have COVID. And so... We were supposed to be going up to Colorado doing some skiing and stuff, but we've had to push that back at least, you know, to make sure that we get past our full quarantine. We may have to cancel. We're not sure. Um, I have a feeling, though, with President's Day weekend and, you know, the warmth that we have down here, if we can't go up to Colorado and go skiing, we'll hit up one of the national parks or big state parks around Texas and get outside and enjoy a little time out in nature. How about yourself, Cody? Well, I'm excited to kind of hear next week what's going on and see what unfolds and see what you can do, whether it's skiing or whether it's, you know, visiting a national park. Glad to hear you're on the tail end of COVID here. And, you know, it stinks that you have the quarantine, but there's no way around it. Hopefully we all get the vaccine soon and COVID starts to go away. But for me, I actually had a nice ski weekend. And you can see this is a recurring theme that I've been skiing as much as humanly possible since I bought the Icon Pass. It is quite expensive. I don't have the sweet military discount or student discount. So it was like 850 bucks. Um, but this past weekend, I was up at Loon. So went up on Friday, stayed the night, skied Saturday, came back, watched the Super Bowl at my place with a couple of people. And yeah, now we're here. Now we're back into the regular week. So this week, we have David Wood on the show, who spent almost 20 years being a, a consulting actuary at these huge companies. But then he decided like he really wanted to go in and build his own life coaching business says he's serviced over 150,000 different coaches, which is like insane to know that you've touched that many lives and done that many things. And throughout this episode today, he gives us a lot of cool exercises where you can actually go through them. You know, I imagine you can listen to this episode and as you hit one, either pause it or slow it down, take your time and actually go through some of the exercises yourself. Um, A lot of it is really about having these tough conversations because in life, a lot of times we just avoid those. We kind of go around them because it seems easier and you don't want to hurt someone's feelings or make something awkward. But really, when you have those tough conversations and you get past them, it generally kind of unlocks something even bigger. One of his big things was the care model, which stuck out to me. Um, and that is clarifying, asking permission, revealing and requesting and inquiring. And this is all around like getting past something like someone has maybe like hurt you or upset you, or there's just a tough situation going on. And so during this episode, you'll hear things like that model and many others. But before we go too far, we want to take a quick moment for our sponsor. Super excited to share one of my secret weapons for learning new things and getting ahead. And this is Blinkist. So basically Blinkist is an app. It works on your phone, your tablet, on your desktop. And what it does is it takes books and it gets all of the need to know information out of the book. So literally condenses an entire book down and it just 15 minutes and hits on the most important stuff. And I love to use Blinkist because I get recommendations for books all the time. I'm an avid podcast listener. I'm always talking to smart people who are reading tons of books. I get these recommendations, but I just don't have the time to read all the books 
from cover to cover. So this is all to say that with Blinkist, you've got unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for the FISHOW audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash FISHOW and try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash FISHOW to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash FISHOW. And real quick, Justin, before we welcome David onto the show, one quote that he said that really stuck with me was he said, some people might have said that the 2000 times that Edison fails were failures, but Edison would just say it's a 2000 step process. And I think that's such a powerful mindset to have not being afraid of failure. And this just radiates throughout the entire episode. He talks so much about mindset and gives you those tactical exercises. If you want to look at these exercises, if you want to check out the care model, if you want to read more about David, you can do all of that in our show notes at thefiveshow.com slash David. It's thefiveshow.com slash David. What happened is I, it was a consulting actuary over in, in New York. So I'm I'm consulting to like Sony Music and Ford and Exxon, and I figure I had it made. And someone suggested a personal growth course for my wife because I was having marriage issues and I thought, that's a great idea. Let's change her. That'll work. You know, back then I thought that it was a smart idea. Uh, but the more I heard about this course, the more I thought I should do it because they said, you find yourself and you work out who you are and, you know, vague things like this. And I'm like, let me go and check it out. And they were smiling way too much and they all wore name tags. And I'm like, this is a self-help cult. They're all self-help junkies. They can't think for themselves. But maybe I can just get in and get out without getting uh, hooked. Well, I got hooked. You know, I did I did the course and they, they blew my mind. And I ended up just weeping during the course. And I'm, I'm an Aussie. I grew up in an Australian town. You know, men are supposed to be tough and not have emotions. And I was just blown away by the possibilities they were creating. So I, I found I, I did the second course and then I did the third one and I found that I was coaching people in the course, people, you know, that had problems or they didn't understand something. I'll be like, well, the, the teacher said this yesterday, have you tried this? And I actually changed somebody's life overnight and I found it addictive. She'd been married for 10 years and she'd been hiding something for 10 years and she, I got to watch her face as she saw the possibility of coming clean, risking her whole marriage just for more intimacy and trust and openness. And she got a positive result, which is nice. But just watching that transformation, I'm like, I want more of this. So I'd spent the first 20 years of my life really studying business systems and, and consulting to big companies. I've spent the last 20 years learning the other half which is intimacy, trust, vulnerability, connection, influence, and leadership. So I'm a bit unusual in that most people, they either do business coaching or they do life coaching. I'm like, we can't separate the two. Let's work on your, your life and, and who you are and how you're showing up. So hindsight 2020, it sounds like that you going to this course turned out to be an awesome thing. It changed your life. It's helping you change other people's lives. But as you introduce this concept to people who 
maybe come into it with some preconceived notions that you sound like you had where you feel like, oh, is this like a cult? This seems a little weird. Everybody just seems to be smiling a little too much, like you said. How do you kind of break down those barriers for people and actually get them to take a chance on something like life coaching? It's much easier for me because I'm, I'm not very woo-woo. And I wrap what I care about and what I think other people do deeply care about. I wrap it in something more tr- more obvious that their brain is telling them they need. For example, uh, I coach a lot of business owners and the main thing most of them are looking for first is they want to double revenue. So it's not a hard sell for me because I'm like, let's help you double revenue. Then we'll help you double your time off. And then we'll look at how you're showing up and have you be a more extraordinary uh, partner, parent, leader, and human. So for me, it's not, it's not a hard sell because I've, I've learned the language that most of our left brains are speaking to us. But if someone was looking at going and doing a woo-woo course like that, I would say the main driver for you should be that you want change. And if you want change, you need to go to something different. You can't just pull out your old playbook. You've got to go to people who are going to look a bit different. They're going to speak a bit differently because that's where the change is going to come from. So I kind of want to pivot and talk a little bit about business. It can be, like I mentioned before, before we started recording here, we have small business owners, entrepreneurs, people in corporate careers. We have everyone in this audience who's just looking to get that kind of next level in there, whatever they're doing. And something you talk about, I think you use the phrase of freaking epidemic talking about shiny object syndrome. Could you just dig into that a bit and how we can maybe avoid it? Yeah, sure. I look, no matter who you are, I imagine 200 years ago, things were much simpler. You know, I might've woken up and said, I'm going to chop down that tree. (laughs) And I eat my breakfast. I walk out. I chop down the tree. That's a good day, right? I don't have Facebook messages pinging me. I don't have text messages. I don't have voicemail to get back to. I don't have email to check. I don't have a whole bunch of people, you know, walking past the tree, giving me advice on it. But now our lives have become beautifully and amazingly complex. I mean, just look at health insurance. You got to work that out. You got to go and get your health insurance, make sure the premiums are paid, make sure you got the right doctors. And then, you know, just working out how to maintain your body is one system. We have about a hundred systems in place. So it gets more and more complex and there's an advantage to that and a disadvantage. The advantage is it's, it can be fun and entertaining and produce adrenaline. So that's great. The disadvantage is we've lost access to peace and we've lost access, most of us, to being super productive. So here's an example. When I wanted to write my book, and that's a, that's a, um, a process that, that takes a lot out of someone, takes a lot of focus, the distractions all around me were making it almost impossible. So I actually went to a friend's house for, for two months And I made a commitment to myself that I would not touch anything that was not book until 4 p.m. each day. Couldn't touch anything that wasn't. I could eat food, but I couldn't touch any work thing that wasn't the book until 4 p.m. I also made a commitment not to speak until 4 p.m. So my roommate had seen me. She'd just wave or whatever she knew because I was – this was an extreme example. I'm not saying you should do that, but it was – one of the most peaceful experiences of my life because I knew that I was working on what mattered. So 
when people come to me, they're like, all right, I'm feeling scattered. I'm feeling overwhelmed because I'm chasing each shiny object. A manager at work might have five different strategies that, that she'd like to introduce to her staff. She's got all these different staff. She's got all these different directives, all these different people to report to. What's her vision? What's most important? And does she have a not-to-do list? Now, right, here's my to-do list. Here's the stuff. I've got uh, one client right now who's a VP at a huge company, and she's been doing a lot of things just because she can. And people keep giving her more and more stuff because she's good at it and she can get it done. But she's getting burned out because she's working on a lot of stuff that, that's not in her genius zone. So, uh, and this is a great exercise for anybody listening to this call. Just get a piece of paper right at the top of it. Here's my to-do list on the left. And on my right side is my not-to-do list. These are the things that either I'm good at but I don't like or I'm just not even very good at, but I still do, this can change your life. And if we start talking about business owners, if you've got a business, oh my goodness, you've probably got five different markets that you'd like to help, five different groups of people. You've probably got five different problems that you'd like to solve for them and five different solutions and five different benefits and promises. Can you start to see the dilution? That's I'm, I'm getting stressed just talking about it. And then you might have different conversion tools and different traffic sources. I want to get Facebook ads and I want to use SEO and I want to appear on podcasts like this one. And I want to do article writing. I'm going to do it all. Well, what happens is we don't do any of it very well and it doesn't feel very good at the end of the day. And you could get to your goal so much faster if you just picked the ones that matter and and that's so that's a long answer to a question but that's that's a little bit about how i help people to combat shiny object syndrome so they can get to where they want to be so much faster so as this is a, a financial independence show you know a lot of times we are talking about budgeting and things you should and shouldn't buy and delayed gratifications and things like that and i'm to me it's ringing a lot of bells around parallels between what you're talking about the shiny object syndrome more from like a business productivity standpoint and what maybe a lot of people are feeling in their day-to-day -day lives with physical objects like well i need this new pair of shoes i need this new car and i need this new kitchen gadget and all the things that go with it and all the accessories i'm just curious in your coaching experiences. I know it's probably a little more business focused, but do you see some of those parallels? And have you worked on people with who are maybe battling where they're running themselves in the ground because they're purchasing so many things and they're having to work so much harder to pay for those things? Well, I, I, I imagine you guys have covered this topic a lot. And I think we can go pretty deep here pretty quickly. I, I had a teacher who's a guru used to work with Osho. And he said, many, many years ago, he's like, why are you stressing yourselves out trying to keep up with the Joneses and to get all these material things that probably aren't going to give you that much? Live in a tent and be happy. That's what he said. Now, I, I actually believe I could probably do that. I could probably swing that. What I need is quiet. I need quiet first. And secondly, if I can get a view then I'm happy. Interesting timing. A friend of mine just, just called me and said, hey, I'm taking care of people who got me to the dance. You really helped me with my business. You helped me get, get in the game. 
what can I get you in the ten dollars to $15,000 range as a thank you gift? Dude, no one's ever said that to me in my entire life. I'm like, really? And it's freaking me out. Like my brain's like running through ideas and so many options. I'm like, I couldn't, I couldn't even spend someone else's money on that. I couldn't receive that. I went and checked out a massage chair yesterday. This thing is $7,000 on sale for a chair. I, I still can't even find something in the ten dollars to $15,000 range, but it's seven grand. I'm like, could I do that? I came home. I've got a chair that I bought for 600 bucks. And I'm sitting in it going, this is good enough. I don't need that. I honestly cannot find anything commercially in the ten dollars to $15,000 range that I really think would add to my life. And I think this might be a fun exercise for, for listeners is like, if someone was going to give you a gift in the ten dollars to $15,000 range, that's a commercial thing, what would you choose? You might, you might find that there is nothing that's going to materially change your life. And I just think that's a really wonderful insight. I've got most of what I want. I've got really good friends. I've got a puppy that adds so much to my life. I do want a partner. So ladies, if you're conscious, single, love to love, I'm free. <laughs> um, but, but other than that, and I get to coach, I get to show up, I get, I have what I want. So commercially, yeah, I still buy the virtual reality kit, right. And I still want the massage chair and I got the rowing machine and I'll probably buy a, buy an electric piano, but those things don't add up to a lot. So I, I had a big shift recently when I interviewed Remy, I forget his last name. You guys might know him in the creating wealth industry. And he just, he had me create a savings plan. He's like, just go and set it up. So I went and set it up and I started valuing savings more than I valued buying that iPad. And that was a shift for me. I used to, I just, I got surplus. I got to spend the money. But now that I have a savings plan, I value holding on to the money. And I did buy an iPad uh, to do my trainings so I can write on things and show them on the screen. But it's not even working that well. I might just send it back. That's $389. It can go straight into the savings account so that I have more financial peace and uh, I'm saving up to buy a house. So I kind of want to continue on this thread. I think it's so important, kind of this idea of stuckness, I guess I'll call it. People are stuck in their lives because they haven't got that thing, whether it's their promotion or they don't have enough money to buy the $7,000 massage chair whatever that thing might be, and, and something that you're an expert in, this is actually the name of your podcast, is tough conversations. And I know in my life, having the courage to have those tough conversations, maybe say things that feel, you know, you have the butterflies in your stomach when you're about to say it, and you're, you know, you send the email to whatever person you're talking to. But could you talk about why these tough conversations, no matter what the capacity is, we can take this in any direction you want, David, whether it's family or business or whatever, why are these so important? And how can someone think about preparing for them? The tough conversations we haven't had fall in the boundaries of our world. So you see the Truman Show with, with Jim Carrey, right? Amazing. It's up there with the Matrix in terms of deep message. He's living in a world fairly happily, but he's got boundaries around it that he doesn't even know about. Eventually, he starts bumping up against them uh, as he's trying to get, get out of his, his comfort zone. And he can't. There are physical walls. Well, our lives are like that. We don't even know 
some of the limitations until we start to like as he as he did in the show spoiler alert if you haven't watched it you might want to uh, just skip this little bit but as he starts to try and drive and goes through that discomfort he starts to get into more and more new territory well it's like that with us we avoid discomfort we're creatures of comfort you, you know if i say to a client okay start taking a cold shower once a day the reaction's probably like what mine was. Are you kidding? I hate cold showers. Why would I do that? Well, it's like that with a tough conversation. Now, I stumbled onto it when I was getting coached because I, I did the this program and they had me write down the people that I disliked. And I started making a list. And listeners, you might want to do this too. It's an interesting exercise. Just write down people that you scan your life right now Who's in my life right now that I either dislike, I resent, I'm annoyed at, or I've got a withhold from? Like there's some thought I haven't shared with them. Write it down. It's not a, it's not hard um, to scan. And then you go back to your past. Who from your you know who from your childhood? Who uh, who in your family? Who have you got an issue with? Just write it down. You don't have to handle it all overnight. You don't have to handle any of it but it's the beginning of awareness. And my coach had me do this and boy, I had a list of people. I had a, you know, the guy from school who bullied me. Uh, I had three or four guys from school that I felt some resentment towards the girl who dumped me twice in school and gave me the cold shoulder. One of my bosses who said something once that upset me. And so I had this big long list and then the coach is right. All right, take the first person on the list and call them. I, use some swear words. I'm like, I'm not doing that. That's ridiculous. Why would I do that? And I got some really good coaching that was, you know, the idea was I'm carrying all this baggage and every piece of baggage has me stoop over a little bit more and more until I don't even notice I'm carrying it. I'm just hunched over energetically. And so I said, all right, well, this first guy, this bully from school, there's no way I can call this guy. And she said, what are you afraid of? I said, he's going to think I'm an idiot. And she gave me the, some of the best coaching I ever got. She said, lead with that. And that gave me access to calling him. I called him up. I said, dude, I know you haven't heard from me for 20 years. I'm so terrified to have this call because I'm worried you're going to think I'm a total idiot. And that shifted the energy between us. I've got, I can feel it in my body right now. He said, oh, well, what do you got? Tell me, you know, shoot. And I said, I always felt, you know, this is how I felt back at school. And I always tried to one up you and you tried to one up me and you were better at it than me. And I used to really like you and I felt like we we're friends. And then I've just resented you. I'm letting go of it. And I wanted to let you know. And the guy said the most stunning thing to me. He said, well, what could I say now to help us move forward? This is the bully. This is the jerk, right? So that's, a, that's an extreme example. I don't expect listeners to go and start calling bullies, although I was on a podcast talking about this and the host said, I've got a bully from school that I've never reached out to and he went and did it after interviewing me and, and he said, you know, the peace, the release, just to share with the guy. And the guy apologized and said, I was such an asshole back then. I'm really sorry. So that's a personal example, but in the business realm, uh, let's say you're managing a team or you're working for a manager. 
write down on that list. Who is it? Is it your boss? Maybe you feel micromanaged by your boss. Maybe you made a mistake and you've got a confession. Maybe there's a coworker you feel doesn't value you. And you put these people on the list. Then on the right-hand side, you write what the issue is. You don't have to go and talk to them about it, but let's just build your awareness. Um, if you, you're managing a team, you might have someone who's just not doing the best job and you've asked three times and they seem to not be doing it. Here's an example. A podcast host just reached out to me asking for an introduction for somebody. And three times I had written back saying, please have them send me a paragraph so that I could forward it. Three times I got something else. And um, it just seems like he, he just wasn't paying attention to the emails. And I'm like, what do I do here? This is a tough conversation. So, you know, I've had a lot of practice at it. So I just went and created a video and I said, hey, I'm in mystery here. I keep asking for an apple and I get an orange and maybe I'm not being clear, but I want to let you know if, if it doesn't happen in the next email, I'm going to drop it. And I wanted you to know why. Okay, that did it. He's like, oh, I just, I didn't understand. I had missed it. Now I've got, you know, what he wanted, but I didn't need him to do anything. I just wanted to, to clear it up with him and let him know so that he wasn't wondering, why isn't this guy making the intro? I'm like, because you're not reading my emails. I just got another one from the same person who said, hey, did you get this email? And I wrote back, yeah. Did you get my response? Like, did you check the message said? Did you search for it? Because I just checked and I sent you back. That's the next conversation, right? I'm just wondering if that sparks any ideas for you guys, uh, any examples as I run through some of those. Well, I think the thing that's interesting there is as much as we probably don't want to at times, especially in the situations where maybe we feel like someone has wronged us, has been empathetic, is to think through what that person is thinking. Because I know for me, like a lot of times, if you don't reach out to those people and have those honest conversations, you just kind of let it bubble up, then you kind of explode in a situation. And then they kind of have a response where maybe some insights you didn't think about or you didn't see through their prism. And then all of a sudden you start kind of feeling bad about it. So I like this idea of getting out in front of it before it just bubbles up in an unnatural situation where you can kind of be in control of your emotions. You can think through it. You can think through maybe what their response is going to be. So I definitely like that aspect of it. And I, I'm actually writing a book now called Name That Mouse because the elephant isn't the only animal in the room. And, you know, we all know about the elephant concept. I, I see it, you see it, no one's talking about it. But often things are much more subtle. Maybe I'm annoyed that you've been late. And it's a thing for me, I see it, but I don't know if you see it, that's a mouse. And by naming the mouse, we can be more related. And if you don't name it, and this is to your point, Justin, I think they can breed. And these mice can, can breed and become uh, a plague. So it is a good idea to first become aware of it yourself. Oh, oh, that's a mouse I've got. That's an issue I have with this person. That's the first thing. That's clarity. That's beautiful. Secondly, now that you've gotten clear on it, it's much easier to go and have the conversation. Now, one thing that stops most people having the conversation is they know if they don't do it well, it could blow up and it could be a train wreck. And the person might get angry, they might get defensive, they might, they might start attacking you. So I have a simple model, and you can, listeners, you can download it on my website. I'm happy to give it away. It's a, it's a free download. It's called the CARE model, C-A-R-E. And the C stands for clarify. 
And there's a little worksheet where you can write down what what's bugging you about this. Even if you decide not to have the conversation, I say that's valuable information. Oh, I felt, I feel unappreciated each time I hear these words. Ah, okay, I've learned something about myself now. Then the second step is A stands for ask. Ask permission. Can I have this conversation? You know, I just dump it on someone. I had someone text me and say, we need to talk. I'm really pissed at you. That's how not to do it. That's not asking for permission, right? And you, you're bringing across your negative charge. That's probably not going to go well. But you ask permission. And there's a simple formula in the download that goes like this. Hey, so-and-so, there's something I haven't been saying. And I haven't been saying it because, and you insert your fear of what could go wrong. Uh, because I'm worried you'll think I'm oversensitive or you might get defensive or you might not want to work with me or you might fire me or you might divorce me, right? Whatever it is, it's really good to get clear about it and I think be upfront about your concern. This is why I haven't said it, but I've decided I do want to bring it up because, and here you insert your positive intent and you work all that in the, out on the worksheet because I want to feel closer to you because I want to have more peace in my life or because I just want to clear the air, whatever it is. You come to me like that, Cody and Justin, and you say, hey, I haven't been saying this because of this, but I do want to bring it up because of this. Now I know it's a little edgy for you, so I'm going to give you, cut you some slack. And you've demonstrated positive intent by sharing why you want to do it. It's like there's a positive intent here. You're not out to, to hurt me. And that's a game changer right there. Even if you just get those first two steps, clarify and then ask permission, you'll be good to go. All right. Well, now I'm curious what the R and E are. <laughs> if you right. want to share those with the audience real quick. Well, the R stands for reveal and request. I slipped two in there. So you reveal the issue. Hey, when you do this, I feel this. Or this is the impact this is having, having on me. And if you have a request, this is a good place to ask it. So instead of complaining that you're late all the time, I might say, here's the impact on me. And my request is that you show up uh, on time or even a minute early. Would you, would you be open to that? And then step four is so important. We miss it so often. And I, I miss it. Uh, you know, unless I have it written down, I'm probably going to miss it too. Inquire. You want to inquire into their world. You don't want to just like, here's all my story and whatever. Okay, are we good now? No. How is it for you to hear this? How is it for you that I'm bringing it up? And I often, it is an advanced move, but I often give people a menu of options. Is it annoying? Is it inspiring? Is it something else? How is it for you? I want to hear anything you've got to say about this. Maybe you've got an idea that's better than mine. And then you shut up. And you listen. If you don't, you could create another tough conversation for them to have one day with you. You know, they've got all this impact that they don't, you're not even interested. So four simple and beautiful steps. I had someone write to me and say, I'm four for four. I've tried this four times with four different people and I'm batting four for four. This is this really is a game changer. 
So whether or not you're using the care model or some other strategy, I kind of want to loop this back to finances because a lot of times these tough conversations and how much you're earning, how much you're charging for your product or service, whatever the thing might be that you're doing, those things are often really deeply interconnected. And those conversations are extremely tough. Like, hey, boss, can I get a X percent raise? I feel like I deserve it because of these reasons. Or, you know what? My coaching business is worth 10 times what I'm charging right now. And a lot of people do undersell themselves or they're just scared to speak out because of who knows what it might be getting fired or just getting on the boss's bad side. Could you talk to some strategies? Maybe they're the same, but maybe they're slightly different when it comes to money and you know knowing your worth and asking for your worth. Yeah, well, I, I love that you've looped it back to that. We could use some of those as an example to go through the, the care model. So some of the difficult conversations that come up around money are, hey, I want to raise. I don't think I'm being paid enough. Or, hey, we need to cut your pay. We need to fire you, and the uh, or maybe with a with a business partner. Hey, I feel like I'm doing more of the work, and I, can we talk about me getting more of the reward or you putting more in? In a relationship, hey, I want to spend more money on this, and I know you don't have a value on that. Can we talk about that? Or I, you seem to have a value of spending money on this, and and I don't. Could we talk about cutting expenditure in there or maybe we'll we'll each have an allowance. We each have a certain amount that we could spend without the other person approving and it's discretionary for whatever, you know, spend it on Twinkies, doesn't matter. And then the rest of it we agree. Well, we're going to, I don't know, I just made that up. So those are some examples and you can use the care model for any of those financial conversations. Hey, first do the worksheet. This is, and so you work out what, what's bugging you. And then there's something I haven't been saying because of this. And I do want to say it because insert positive intent. A lot of times those type of conversations, like especially uh, going to someone who's employing you asking for a raise because you're worried, like, am I going to set something off? And I'm in there, you know, if this doesn't work, maybe I'm in a bad light. Uh, maybe that's going to lead to me being fired. Like all these fearful things go through your head. But I know in, in some of your stuff, you've talked about being more daring and you've actually put a percentage on it. We talk about being 30% more daring. Why should people like really put a focus on being more daring and why this like 30%? It seems like a very exact percentage. Yeah. Well, and uh, you've touched on another issue here, which is should you have the conversa- that tough conversation every time? And, and if not, when should you have it and when should you not? There's a little checkbox on the care model worksheet when you when you say like what you're what am I afraid of what could like how could this go wrong let's work it out let's because I I used to be an actuary which is all about risk assessment and studying the statistics and probabilities I will take a lot of risks but I want to know what am I facing like if I step off a mountain in Nepal with a paraglider attached to me what are the odds and what am I risking and how do I mitigate those risks so I I found roughly in my experience nine times out of ten it's worth being daring because it takes courage to have a tough conversation because you're risking something nine times out of ten i find it's worth the risk maybe one in ten times it's not let's say i i i don't have a lot of relating with this person i'm not going to see them a lot hey do i really want to invest in that relationship maybe not i'll just let this slide or if the consequence is too great, let's suppose, uh, example, I was in Bali and uh, I was subletting my villa 
and uh, you're not allowed to do that. Now, a lot of people do it. We just figure it's never going to be an issue. But I got caught. Someone showed up at my door flashing a badge and saying I was needed for an interview, and there was talk about jail time. Now, I have a high value on tough conversations and like showing up and fronting up and having integrity and, and taking whatever the penalty is going to be. But when I found out I might be negotiating a bribe from within jail for an indefinite period of time, that consequence was too high for me. I'm like, I, I don't think I want to have that conversation. So I opted out. I left the country. A lawyer said to me, I, I would leave the country, come back later, it'll all blow over, just dismantle it and don't do it again. I'm like, okay, um, if your partner might divorce you because you are going to confess that you uh, had an affair, you go through the worksheet. This is what could happen. And am I willing to accept the consequence? Now, I'm more proud of myself every time I'm willing to accept the consequence. I think it's more noble. And I think being daring in that way is, is a lot of what's led to me having amazing freedom in my life. So 30% is a number I made up because I don't want you to go crazy, right? We did, did, like, I, I did, my cousin once went and did the same course I did, and he just went through and called everybody in his life. Now, that's amazing. But you don't have to do that. Just what would 30% more daring look like in your life? Who would you speak to today? What risk would you take? I say one of the reasons we watch feel-good movies is because we want to see courage. We want to see vulnerability, and we aspire to that. So 30% more daring is a way we can each do that in our own lives. Well, i got to say that you're definitely an inspiration because I'm pretty sure I read, and you just barely touched on it, that you had like a full collapse in a paraglider and you fractured your spine. And so the fact that you're like, take risks and maybe there's a 10% chance this happened, but you're still going out and taking that risk. It's just amazing. But I kind of want to hear your take on whether it's a catastrophic failure and it could be something like paragliding or in business, or, you know, you go out on the ledge, you take this risk, you, you are 30% more daring. And then in the unlikely scenario, it comes crashing down on you just because maybe the cards weren't in your favor or whatever the circumstances might be. How do you think about failure in that light? Like, how do you use that to build yourself up instead of tearing yourself down? Yeah. Well, my initial reaction usually is, is some kind of collapse you know, not, not to be a pun on the, on the paraglider, but some kind of like, when I launched my book, I, I put $150,000 and two and a half years of my life into that book launch. And it, it achieved about 10% of what I wanted it to do when we launched the uh, training program that was supposed to monetize it. I wept. I fell to my knees in my bedroom and I, I just cried and released. So, you know, often that's my initial reaction, but then I dust myself up. If I need to, I'll, I'll get coaching. I'll speak to my coach about it. And I, I like the, the frame of, about Thomas Edison. You know, Thomas Edison, you could say he failed 2,000 times on the path to inventing the light bulb, but he says, no, it's just a 2,000-step process. So I've got a training right now that I'm, I'm testing out to see if the world wants it. I, I don't know. Do they want it? Do they want it in this form? I, I think they do. It's a training on, on doubling your revenue and your time off. And then I'm testing Facebook ads to it. And the initial results weren't good. But with things like this, you gotta, you got to tweak them like seven times. 
maybe 70 times and keep on going. And this is one of the things about shiny object syndrome. If you just keep on kicking the tires of something, whether it be a strategy with your staff or something you're trying with your manager or something you're trying in your business, if you just kick the tires, you're going to do a lot of tire kicking and it's unlikely that you'll be successful. You might still make it, but normally you've got to pick a strategy or two and go deep sometimes for a year. And so I, you know, my intention for, for what I'm doing right now is to maintain the belief and maintain the faith and keep on testing, keep on tweaking and see if the world wants it. And if the world doesn't, I'll come up with something else. This book, Name That Mouse, I'm not writing it until I know the world wants it. So it's a test. And this is one way that I, I can avoid this massive catastrophic failure. To test it out. We're going to do a Kickstarter campaign. If we raise $2,000 for the book, then we'll, we'll write the full book. Otherwise, we'll just leave it at the five-page PDF, and that'll be our gift to the world. So this will be kind of taking the conversation a little less philosophical and a little more tactical, I think. But you mentioned in there, and I've heard it you say it a couple times around people looking for either doubling revenue or what I think is really interesting is people saying, I want more time off. And obviously, people are trying to retire early. They're looking for a lot of time off. But maybe there's somewhere in between before they actually retire. What are these steps that you are helping people utilize to, to get more time off? I think it differs a little bit if you own your own business versus if you're working for someone else. Let's say you're working within a company. One thing I'm helping this executive do right now is, again, work out what's my genius zone. So write down all the things that I can do and that I am doing, but what are the things that I love to do and I'm really great at? So that's the first step. Let's get awareness from that. Then next, we're looking at how can she enroll her boss in her doing more of the genius stuff and not doing the other stuff, recreating her job. Now, some of it might be a lot of delegation. Some of it might mean she's got to train up some other people to do some things. Some might, maybe she needs to uh, change the job description. If the boss won't agree, then we'll look at getting another job somewhere else where, where it better fits what, what she can do. And then we're also starting to set some boundaries. So she no longer takes meetings on a Friday afternoon. She won't do them. She figures if it's important that she be there, they'll move the meeting to another time. She's also saying no to a, a, lot, a lot of meetings now. She used to do it because she thought that's what she should do, but she's not finding that effective, so she's sending someone else to the meetings. And she's also saying to her staff, I've got you from nine to five during the week. After that, you go live your life. I want you to work hard when you do work, but after that, go live your life. So those are some examples of what we're doing to free up more time for her. She also works for a company that, no, wait, I might be confusing it. There's another client with another company. They have unlimited vacation. There's no cap. If you can get your, jo get your job done, then you can, you know, maybe your boss will approve two months or three months of vacation. I think that's amazing. But we want to start shifting from I'm putting in time to this is the job that I need to get done. And if I can be more effective, and that's another thing that, that I teach, we haven't gone into a lot of that, but if I can be more effective with my time, 
why shouldn't I then have maybe another couple of hours to myself every single day to spend with the family? And I think almost all of this applies if you have your own job, sorry, in your own business, but in your own business, you are more, you've got more authority to be able to hire. This is everything I don't want to be doing. I'm going to hire the first person, train them up. Then I'll hire the second person, train them up. Then I'll hire the third person, train them up. With me, my ultimate goal is that all I do is show up and do interviews like this because I love talking about life and business and just show up and do my coaching, both my group program, my one-on-one sessions. That's largely what I love to do and maybe go and speak live at at a few events. Everything else, my vision is that someone else does that. So if you're a business owner listening to this, write down your what's in your genius zone and what's not. And then your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to build the team so that all you do, and same for managers, build the team so that all you do is the stuff that you love to do. So I'm really glad we went in this direction. And I want to sneak in one more question before we let you go, because one of the last bullet points I had here, just a general topic I wanted to talk about. And you kind of touched on it there. And it's kind of the working smarter, not hotter mentality. And I've heard so many people ask this question and so many different answers. Like, you know, you could figure out a really high dollar per hour skill and work a couple hours a week, or you could, you know, grind and grind and grind doing a minimum wage job. And, you know, maybe the minimum wage job person is, you know, quote unquote, working harder. They probably are. They're putting in more hours, but the person who's working smarter is taking home a bigger paycheck. They have more time with their family. How does someone in this situation, or just, I guess, anyone in any situation, start to identify how they can, you know, work smarter? I know you've you've mentioned buzzwords like zone of genius, but I think sometimes people don't even know what their zone of genius is. Do you have any tactical tips for someone to kind of figure out what those next steps might be to get into that, you know, work smarter zone? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a few steps that'll make this easier. So the first step is let's work out where we're heading. We need to plot our course. I believe we have two personalities inside us. We have about a hundred, but but two main ones. We have a worker who can just show up and get stuff done, respond to email, do this, take take direction. All right, I'll just get this done. The mind is still like a monkey on crack, so we have to handle that, but we have a worker. Then we have a CEO inside us. We have executive function of the brain that's able to plot a course and make big level decisions. The problem is those two get confused and collapsed. And each day when we wake up, both of those are vying for attention. So let's engage the executive function and plot our course. 12 months from now, how does your job look that would have you really lit up? What are some some goals you could kick in your job that would have you be thrilled? Or if you've got your own business, what does that look look like? Because if you don't know that, you're going to wake up each day and you're just going to respond to email and text and you're going to be engaging the worker only. And that's not the most productive way to be. So that's one. Plot your course. Now's a good time. We're recording this in December. We've got a new year coming up. Take at least 20 minutes to write down some goals, say three, 12 months from now that have you doing the happy dance and feeling amazing. Then once you've got that direction, we need a milestone because it's too vague. It's just too distant to think that our actions are going to be connected to this 12-month goal. So I recommend about eight weeks. Eight weeks from now, what are some milestones you could have that will have you say, I am really on my way to this 12-month goal? So that's step two. 
And then three, we need to have a weekly date with ourselves. We need to have regular, a CEO date. 20 minutes is enough. If you don't know when to have it, choose it, choose four o'clock on a Friday. And this is time to look back on the week and celebrate. This is what I did because it's too easy to keep looking at the next mountain to climb. We've got to turn around and celebrate the gains. So you, this is 20 minutes to turn around and go, this is what I did. Look at the rock star I am. And even though maybe I didn't achieve everything I wanted to, but I did a lot of stuff that's on the way to it. Maybe I said something nice to my partner. Maybe I did something nice for myself. I took myself for a massage. We need to celebrate and then look at your eight-week goals. This is that time to just look at it. All right, what am I going to tackle over the next seven days? What am I moving onto my to-do list? You don't have 100 things on your to-do list. No, put those back in the hopper. What will I move onto my to-do list for these seven days? So that's step three is the weekly CEO date with yourself. And then the last step here is when you wake up, are you going to work on the things that your CEO has chosen for you? Are you going to honor that? Or are you going to throw it out the window and just start with email, start with Facebook text and just react? Or are you going to stay on track? And I, I, I have my clients put in sprints into their calendar, focus blocks of time where they're going to work on their goals and no one else is allowed to reach them. You're working at home, you work it out with the kids, the husband, the wife, Hey, I'm doing a sprint for 90 minutes. Can you leave me for that short of a fire? I'll come out and I'll hug everybody when I'm done. And then it, this is where the mind gets in the way. You know, can you actually stay on track? And it takes, it usually takes my clients a good two to three months to start to make these things habit so that these are now long term practices that they have. It's a game changer. You're going to be twice as productive and you'll be twice as productive on the things that actually matter to you. So you're moving at double speed towards your goals. Who wouldn't want that? David, thank you so much for all this content. I mean, uh, there's just so much here to unpack. There's a lot of really interesting exercises you, that you've walked us through. And I'm hoping that listeners, as they listen to this, maybe can kind of hit pause, step to the side, do some of these exercises. But I know you also have some more things out there on your website where people can go through those. Where is that best place where they can find all the resources and information about yourself? Sure. I have a little gift basket for listeners, and it's mainly geared towards business owners but I think you'll find value uh, if, you, if you have a job as well and you have a life uh, because they do apply to that. So the gift basket has a cheat sheet on the fastest ways to double revenue for business owners. It has a, a short video on how to achieve twice as much in less time. It'll go deeper into the steps that we talked about today. And again, for business owners, a free 15-minute double your revenue audit so we can work out where the low-hanging fruit is for your business. And you can get all three of those things at myfocusgift.com. That's myfocusgift.com. And you can contact me and everything else at my site, including the care model. You'll, you'll, uh, you can get that uh, at, the, at the same link. Awesome. Well, we will definitely link all the up in the show notes, David, so our listeners can go and click and find you wherever you are. I know you're kind of doing a lot of different stuff, which is super exciting. But just thank you again so much for spending time with us today and sharing so much of your knowledge with our listeners. 
My absolute pleasure. You guys are fun. Thank you, Cody and Justin. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.